history. One, oh, one. What's up, everybody, and welcome to Gaming History 101, the Retro Video Games Podcast. I am one of your hosts. My name is Fred Rojas, and joining me today from, uh, uh, fuck, um, from SGI is none other than Mr. Jam Elias. How you doing, sir? I'm doing, I'm doing very well, Brett. That's a good save there. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I pulled up the the spreadsheet and I was like, "That's that's that's what I'm going with." Uh, um, yeah, I've been secretly working for them all along. <laughs> well, then you must be a relatively wealthy man, and you must be a total douchebag oh. in Silicon Valley. No, um, actually, I'm one of those things probably. But. <laughs> my apologies to SGI. They're they're probably very nice people, but anyway. Uh, well, how you doing, man? Mm. I'm good. I'm looking forward to talking about our topics tonight. Yeah, drinking some water. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole podcast on drinking water. That's great. Yes, yes, great I topic. I can that. Um, no, no, no. Tonight we are talking about the Nintendo 64. That's where SGI or Silicon Graphics comes from. So we will be talking about that. Uh, if you're an American, we're about a week away from the 20th anniversary of the N64. And since we already had a show set up for next week and I didn't want to bump it, uh, we had to do it this week. So... And then I was telling Jan before the show, uh, this also coincides with a Retronauts that just, they are usually late, so they went early. So they've already done an N64 episode. I have listened to it. And these are the two things I will promise you. One, there will be very little uh, overtread. Um, it'll be the same topic, but I feel like we're going to talk about some very different uh, points of discussion, especially when it comes to the release and development of the N64, we're also going to have some very different opinions. But my goal here is not to compare and contrast at all with Retronauts. They are their own podcast doing their own thing. And subsequently, we are going to be doing our own thing. But I just want people who listen to Retronauts vehemently like me to know there will be very little overlap and not for the sake of this show. It's just we do it differently. So, uh, So there you go. But uh, yeah, we are going to be talking about the Nintendo 64. So, um, and then we've got a little bit of stuff to talk about at the very end of the show, um, which is uh, the upcoming game club, which has already been picked, uh, how game clubs are going to be moving forward. And we kind of talked about that too. And um, an opportunity for you to uh, pimp some, some games for us to talk about on an upcoming show. So there you go. But um, uh, and chat's already getting going with like, uh, you know, N64 is my jam. This is a good system. Things like that. Uh, yeah, I, I do think it's a very good system. In fact, I probably hold more stock in the N64 than you would expect, I guess I would say. So mm-hmm. um, I might make snarky comments with our top 10, but uh, all in all, there's <laughs> there's a lot to be had with the N64. I'm still getting impressed by that console. And I just shipped yeah. off my, my launch console to be RGB modded this week. So um, Excellent. Apparently, that makes the N64 look really good, but that requires a little more of a deep dive mod, so that's why. So, But uh, anyway, and you need to have a certain serial number um, in order to get it to work. So you have to have an early generation console that's been treated well, which very few people have, but hey, 
when you never get rid of your N64, you always have that. <laughs> so anyway, all right. Well, before we get started, I just wanted to give a huge shout out uh, to Cy1. He uh, came through, mm-hmm. like all you lovely listeners have, time and time again for me. And I have a new task at hand for people. But uh, Cy1 was very kind to send me a Super Nintendo PAL controller with the beautiful candy-coated the buttons. Proper buttons. Yes. <laughs> and uh, my daughter thought it looked great. My wife thought it looked cool. My brother-in-law wanted to play with it. And I said, nope, only me. Um, but the other day, I sat down and had a very European weekend where I... Uh, <clears throat> well, that sounds risky. Yeah, I played Donkey Kong Country uh, on the SNES, actual cart, on an uh, outputting RGB mm-hmm. SCART into my television with a PAL SNES controller. So it was, it was about as British as you can get with that one. Um, Are you drinking British beer as well, or British alcohol? I, I was not, uh, unfortunately. I am almost at the end of uh, my, my hiatus from alcohol officially ends uh, in October, so uh, the beginning of October. So, so I'll be very happy. Monday, October 3rd is, is my official end. And again, uh, that was just a challenge to myself, but I'm very much looking forward to trying like one-off beers. There have been a lot of cool microbrew stuff that has happened to come out at this time. So anyway... But um, Derek H. says, is the episode about how N64 (laughs) is an overrated piece of tech that was the beginning of the Nintendo phoning in its consoles? Yes and no, Mr. Cynical. (laughs) But uh, That's what you come to GH101 for, is the differing opinions. (laughs) Yes, yes, very much Um, But anyway, so thank you very much, Cy1, and thank you very much for uh, for the book as well. Uh, There's a it, it's inside baseball, but there's a fun book, and I'm actually uh, Cy. When I get done, going to pass it along to Jam. So it's it's not video game related, so I'm just going to move forward. But thank you very much. It was a very kind package. If there's anything I can do for you, you hit me up. Uh, the new task at hand is any of you out there who like to make video game music. I've got a new project that should be coming out uh, in early November uh, that could use about 20 to 30 seconds of Nintendo-esque 8-bit chiptune music, and I'd love something like that. Probably something a little more fantastical i guess i would say a little more um early kind of fun quirky maybe bubble bobble era um early 80s or mid 80s uh, nes stuff so anyway if you're down for that cool hit me up um <clears throat> and last but not least an apology for no live show last week uh, all games was having some server issues we obviously fixed those because you're all here and wonderful and you guys were great for showing up even though the site wasn't here to uh to support you and as you heard we did do a show anyway um but you know things like that happen and uh i i don't think there's any company or website that has gone without outages so i thank all of you for being patient and i hope you enjoyed the show so anyway so i once said i should have had a crumpet and tea that's what i should have done even though i hate both of those things Really? Um, oh, wow. Yes. Not vehemently. Like, I'm not against them. Mm. But, like, yeah, I can't drink tea. I, I don't like it. I'm I just a, flat out don't like it. I don't like British tea, I'll be honest. I am more of a I'm one of those weird green tea type people. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Born in the wrong region. Yeah, I get you. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me retweet the tweet. Uh, anyway, but, uh, yeah. So, with that, we are going to jump into the Nintendo 64. And... Um, mm. I don't know, Jim, should our, our special treat that we talked about before the show, should I, let's launch, let's wait for the N64 launch, so. Yeah, let's do that, yeah. Yeah, in classic fashion, Jam and I are going to take turns. We're going to talk a little bit about the significance of the N64 before we get into its history. 
we'll talk about the long winding story that uh, leads to the N64. And then we'll talk about its launch. And then we will probably spend a significant portion of this show, I'd hope about half of it, talking about the games yeah. because the N64 definitely eras itself by the Nintendo games that were coming out. There were more significant games than Nintendo. So before you guys start waving your flags, especially you fucking Brits with the rare shit, I, I understand. <laughs> like, I, I'm all for it, okay? I'm behind you on this one. Banjo-Kazooie, hurrah! Um, but... Uh, but Nintendo is really the best way to basically third parties launch stuff between Nintendo's releases, you know, and kind of as Derek hinted at, that'll be a trend for Nintendo that goes pretty much up to now. Uh, but uh, this is the first time we saw it. And so that's why I think it's a good idea to kind of trend stuff that way. But there's a lot to talk about. So also, if you feel like your games weren't celebrated, remember, we did do an N64 top 10, which can be found in the archive. So uh, not too long ago, as far as I recall, either. But anyway, so, all right, Mr. Jam. So uh, why don't you kick us off with uh, when the N64 released? Yep, absolutely. Um, So the N64 released in June 23rd, 1996 in Japan and then September 26th, 1996 in the US. It's kind of an interesting kind of tale about the pre-orders over there, which which we'll be getting onto that later, I believe. Uh, Yeah, we'll get to it for launch. But yeah, Yeah, if you pre-ordered it, that was the release date. Uh, 29th was the retail date, but it was for a weird (laughs) fuck-up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And of course, in late fashion, as always, (laughs) in Europe and Australia, for that matter, uh, March 1st, 1997, the year later uh, for us over here. (laughs) And for Cy one over there in Australia, although he might have not have been living over there at that stage. But <laughs> what are you talking about? He's an—he's our only Australian-born listener. <laughs> no, no. I don't. Know. <laughs> if only Sparky were here to see that. Anyway, um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, it, but you know what? One thing I wanted to point out is you guys are getting closer. You're no longer like a yeah. year yeah. off or anything. You're like six months off now. Emails. Yeah. So Nintendo's. Like, re- like acknowledging you as a region Starting. about this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, their their chip specifically had an uh, an a scaling option for five seventy six i. So you know they care about PAL a little, just a little. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, let's ba- bounce back and forth uh, about yeah. the significance. Uh, I'll talk about um, kind of their previous decisions haunting them, and then you can talk about the trends they started and and. Again, feel free to add any of your own, but um, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So, what starts to happen here? And and again, I do want to kind of, you know, we used to do it with this very rote, you know, listing of facts in chronological order. I wanted to look at it from a little more of a macro perspective. So, Nintendo has made a lot of decisions up to this point, and you can kind of piece them together through various episodes of GH one hundred and one um, that 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 are going to hurt them, especially in the U.S. Um, and that's kind of why we're focusing this all around the U.S. release as well. Aside from its convenience, um, Nintendo 64, from a lot of people's perspectives, I don't know if this is really true, but from a lot of people's perspectives, was very much a U.S.-based console. It was most popular in the U.S., mm. and it had the most games in the U.S., although I don't know if that's true. I think there were some Japanese you know, exclusives. And I know you guys had like three. Kind of always has exclusive ones, yeah. Well, and you guys had three exclusive ones as well, but uh, anyway... Um, but uh, yeah, so one thing is uh, cartridge. So uh, the yep. the fact that they were cartridge manufacturers and distributors with their licensees, with the people who wanted to make games, this is coming back to kind of bite their ass. 
Um, and we'll see this a lot with the third parties, yeah. But we also see it with consumers, right? There, uh, you know, I, I don't remember what the European conversion was, Jam, but at this point, you could walk into a Toys R Us and see that the N64 games were 60 to $80, and the PlayStation and Saturn games were like 40 bucks, and then like the greatest hits were like yeah. 20 or oh, 30 yeah. You know, there's a um, big difference in price over here as well. Yeah. And that's that's as quick. And, and it's because CDs were cheaper to make. But, uh, you yeah. know, um, again, that is something you think about as both a consumer and a, a publisher, you know, outside of Nintendo. Mm -hmm. You know, Nintendo gets their 10 bucks. That's how that always worked. But outside of that, you have to think about that when you're making a game. Um, so. Uh, a lot of people were still burned by the fact that Nintendo really handled that stuff poorly. Um, and the cartridge as a format was kind of taboo. We'll talk about that kind of. We'll dance around it. We've already kind of discussed it but uh, with the CD episode. But, you know, the cartridge was not in vogue, if you want my uh, personal opinion. <laughs> um, Sony's PlayStation does mark the biggest competitor. The reason... Um, that's kind of a previous decision haunting them uh can be easily found in the birth of the playstation and i think just about now oh, yeah. everybody knows the the stories with so. the the sony playstation we'll delve into it a little bit but uh that's definitely coming back to bite their ass when this system comes out <laughs> because sony is their uh, their biggest competitor they're not fighting sega anymore sega's kind of there but it's not really in america and i'm betting europe was the same way um it was really sony versus nintendo in 1996 and probably 97 for you guys um, mm. And last but not least, third-party attacks from developers. Square and Enix oh, yeah. would be the biggest ones because um, Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior and Final Fantasy was always on a Nintendo console until suddenly they're not. Suddenly Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest are on Sony's console. Uh, that's yep. a big deal, and they would be far from the only ones to run. Um, you know, you look at Namco, Capcom... Um, Konami, they're Konami, almost non-existent yeah. on the N64. They're not completely gone, but they're almost non-existent on the N64, and that's just a handful of the big ones. Um, so s Nintendo's really kind of reaping what they sow with, first of all, their invasion of the NES, and then kind of their somewhat rough business practices that continued through the Super Nintendo era. Um, and Nintendo 64 will... Uh, We'll, we'll take some of that heat, especially once Sony comes along and really offers, I guess what I would say is for the traditional gamer of the mid-90s, Sony offers a little bit of, or quite an alternative, quite a breath of fresh air for both gamers and developers uh, from Nintendo's ways and business practices. And uh, the PlayStation kind of grew up with the gamers that grew up with the NES um, and that, that kind of comes to haunt them as well. Uh, whereas the N64 kind of restarts time, right? <laughs> yeah. Awesome. In my opinion, the N64 is kind of like a child being reborn. It's a phoenix versus <laughs> a, a maturity. Well, I like that analogy, yeah. yeah. So, anyway. But the N64 also started a lot of trends. So, Jam, why don't, why don't you get Wait. into a couple of those? So I, I guess this, the, the, the first trend is in Nintendo's limited focus nets a library of rock-solid titles, which this was kind of the starting of this, really, where the, the most memorable titles on the Nintendo platform were the ones that were, were first-party, essentially. I mean, I guess Nintendo, the, the N64 specifically, it still did have you know, second-party with Rare and stuff like that, but it was kind of the origins where 
moving forward from here, the most memorable titles were Nintendo-based, as opposed yes. to yes, NES. Well, and to even go a little bit more balanced, um, mm. it, like again, I don't, I don't mean to to criticize that, but uh, to go even more balanced, um, even if you think Rare was really strong and whatnot, what I. What I, I feel like is anything that Nintendo kind of cranked out on the N64, in my opinion, was high quality, was worth playing. Yes. Um, aside from genre-based stuff, yeah, I can't think of too much that came out on the N64 developed and published by Nintendo that wasn't, you know, kind of must-plays. Even, like, some of the stuff you don't usually play, like Mario Party, those first few on N64 mm. were real strong. Um and they so. they also tie into the how well that console, in my opinion, was designed. But we'll get to that later, really, about the the implement, implementation of effective multiplayer, really. Ah, uh, yes, definitely. So, mm. but yeah, we'll we'll come on to all those. Um, but uh, sort of the the next sort of trend is the, obviously the oddly designed controller, which um with which has surprisingly beneficial results. Um, Nintendo had this kind of like do your own thing attitude. I mean, the N sixty four controller. I mean, this is where people get very div. div- well they get they're very divided on this controller i was always a fan of it um retro game magazine called, i never heard this term before fred you might have done they call it the trident controller i've never actually heard them call it that before. nice i like it though <laughs> mm. um, makes sense though yes oh yeah uh Sorry, I'm I'm responding to a text. Oh, but yeah, no, 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 I totally agree. Um, my first impression when I saw Nintendo's controller was what the hell, and then I picked it up and I think everybody said that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I and we'll talk about the controller later when we talk about design. But when I picked it up, yeah, like it it was surprisingly feasible, and I I think the same can be said for most of Nintendo's controllers. I'm gonna kind of, and we won't have this debate, but I'm gonna kind of shelve the GameCube controller for a minute. Uh, I don't really mm-hmm. dig a whole lot of what's going on there, but um, but it's fair. It just, it, the Nintendo, the GameCube controller reminds me of what the Nintendo 64 controller probably should have been. Uh, but we were too scared to use it yet um, because Nintendo was based every decision they made on the N64 around 3D. And, and specifically Mario 64, mm. in my opinion. Absolutely, um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, especially those late decisions. Um, so, yeah. And um, the, basically, yeah, as you have, it goes on to our next point, where the analog control basically became the, the focus uh, for console gaming, really. I mean, yes, um, some people will argue this wasn't the first implementation of an analog control stick, but Nintendo certainly made it like a pretty much a necessity really for their games you, you had to use this in some form but it but it was good it was done in a really good way yeah i'm trying to think did somebody else use it before uh i know the playstation dualshock 1 came out but i thought the dualshock 1 was 97 i think it was after n64 i believe um like there was, because some people will throw in the the arcades kind of duds did stuff like this good point earlier good you know. point good yeah, that's point. kind of the <laughs> yeah 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 i guess i guess from a console perspective i think they're the first um mm. but yeah again we can we can save ourselves a lot of time by just going we we, we hope they're the first <laughs> or <laughs> yeah, or many will think of them as the first time that happened <laughs> but um but yeah, the next, the next trend, of course, is console first-person shooters really start to trend with the N64 as well. I mean, again, you know, first-person shooters have been attempted on previous consoles. You know, SNS had a port of Doom and everything like that, but that was with the 
with the D-pad, <laughs> which didn't work great with those old games. But uh, um, whereas, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> whereas definitely the sort of the first person shoot, and there was a lot of first person shoots on N64. Um, probably, I would even say probably more so than even the PlayStation itself, just because I would agree. with that analog stick, yeah, it, it was just done so well. Well, and you saw PC developers do it. Um, mm. Most infamous examples being uh, Daikatana. Mm-hmm. That was only on N64. It's kind of weird. I think Forsaken was the same way, or was Forsaken on everything else too? Uh, Forsaken Fors- was on multiple okay. platforms. On Forsaken might have been well, the but- exception, not the rule. Um, but uh, and again, there weren't very many exclusives. You know, lots of people like to go Doom 64, but yeah, Doom 64 was its own thing with its own levels. That was cool. That was id seeing the value of that. But Doom mm-hmm. was on everything. <laughs> As a oh, video, yeah. <laughs> I can a video I've done, I can attest to that. Um, but you do mm-hmm. start to see PC style concepts. I would say to a certain extent, Turok is a very you know, by Iguana yeah, Software, it's, it's a, a very um, PC-style first-person shooter that happens to be on the N64. And, as Jam has pointed out a lot lately, um, it has made its way back to PC and, uh, <laughs> and <consoles>. that particular <laughs> one, too. But, uh, yeah, so. And then uh, one of the big things that the N64 brought in, um, in terms of trends is it brought the rumble feature, essentially. Even though, yes, it was a tumor that you attached to the back of the controller, which is almost like a thing in itself, really. But it, it made rumble r- vibrations cool. <laughs> yeah, they were the first ones to really do it. Again, DualShock would do it, but I, I really feel like they were taking notes. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, to a certain extent, people... Uh, you know, think that 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 controller port on the back of the controller was a big deal as well. Um, I think they made good use of it. I don't know how useful it was. You know what I mean? Like how many people who play the console now find anything that hooks into the back of that a necessity? Sure. If you play a sports game, you probably need a memory pack. Sure. If you're going to sync it with, um, Oh, what was the game? Uh, Mario golf or something on the game boy. Yeah, you needed that weird adapter. And sure, the Rumble Pack is a lot of fun and in a lot of games, but I, you know, I have a Rumble Pack in the back of my controller. And mm-hmm. at, at least a dozen people have come over to my house this this month and since I've been playing Donkey Kong 64, I have the controller and the console kind of sitting out in my game room. And people are like, what is that weird thing on the back of it? And I'm like, that's the Rumble Pack. And they're like, "Oh, I forgot there was a Rumble Pack." It they're like a cheaper or something. Yeah, yeah. Or, or like they've lost it. Nobody wants to go look it up because Rumble packs are actually cheap. Like if you can, if yeah, you go looking cheap, yeah. for them, yeah, you can pick them up. There were a ton of them. But anyway, yeah, they they brought Rumble first. Mm-hmm. I think that, I don't know when the. Do you remember the first game that came with the Rumble pack? So I'm thinking Star Fox is like Lila. Yeah, that's what that's Lila yeah. Wars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That was that was the one. Yep. That's mm-hmm. another thing. All their add-on stuff. Uh, came with a game. So I, yeah. I did kind of like that Nintendo did that. Um, I can see the argument as to why you would hate them for doing that as well. Um, I can see the argument both ways. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> Anyway. And then sort of the, the finally, the final sort of trend, obviously Nintendo's well known for this to this day, is kind of the family focus, really. Um, which is, this is from the game library itself and also the four control ports as well. They really were kind of focusing games that you could share together, really. And this is something they kind of continue to this day, I would argue. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But but I do remember um, 
you know, I just everybody talked about that was uh, mm. the four controller ports in the front. And I remember mm. my mom even saying she went to the store and I think N64 controllers were 40 bucks. I feel like that's the price they were. That um, sounds about right. Yeah. But I remember my mom going and finding out there was only one controller and feeling that there was a necessity to have all ports plugged up. You know what I mean? Because up until this point, the Genesis, eh, maybe the Genesis only came with one controller, but the Super Nintendo and the NES definitely came with two controllers and there were two ports on the front. So you had to have two. So my mom was like, well, I guess we have to have four. She didn't think about the fact that there weren't even four people in our (laughs) house. You know, it was just like, well, you need all four, but that's interesting. That's 120 extra bucks. That's a lot of money, you know. That's oh, but cool. mom, you don't need well, that yeah, many. Yeah. yeah, yeah, stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I do think the four ports in the front. I think we take it for granted how common that was in consoles after that. Um, mm. I'm trying to think, doesn't even the Xbox? I'm looking at my original Xbox. Yeah, the original Xbox has four ports. Yeah, but Sony was the only ones who really stuck with two Sony ports Sony would be very stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't until PS3 when they didn't even have four ports. It was wireless by that stage. Right, so it was easier to do, right. And in yeah. fact, the PS3 supports, I think, up to 12 controller ports. Because if you ever look at your remote control, yes. their ports like 9 and 10 or something. Yeah. But, uh, but only four controllers at a time, or six or something, is all they use. And then the rest are for accessories. But anyway. <laughs> but yeah, so... So interesting stuff. Um, All right. Let's talk about the story of the N64. Uh, Because Derek was joking about it. So let's go. Uh, Jam, we'll go back and forth between the black bullet points. So in order to tell the story of Nintendo 64, you have to know Silicon Graphics Inc. or SGI. These are the boys and girls who are doing your supercomputer shit. Uh, I believe they were the (laughs) ones who made the supercomputers that ILM used in Jurassic Park. Um, I do recall weird co-branding with that, right? And I remember Nintendo even calling them out. They were like, this is how we're going to take Jurassic Park and put it in a video game. And I remember, I think SGI was who worked with Rare for making the stamps for Donkey Kong. So you had 3D rendered kind of like stamps for that game. And I remember that being a big thing. I remember hearing about SGI and multi-million dollar computers and stuff like that. But anyway, so their big thing was they invented a microprocessor for video game systems that could pack the punch of a high-end processor. And when I say high-end processor, at that time, you're looking at your probably your Intel 486s or 586 processors, which at the time we're talking about here, which would have been like 1992. This is pre-Donkey Kong. In fact, the SGI Donkey Kong Country stuff directly relates to this deal. Um, but, uh, but yeah, imagine making a 486 that cost a fraction of what uh, the other ones cost. It was a quarter of the power consumption and one quarter to one half of the price. So when you think about that, that seemed like a really good idea for video game consoles. So SGI goes about fishing this stuff out. And believe it or not, uh, they go to Sega. They don't go to Nintendo. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Tom Kalinske, if you don't know him yet, he's I've kind of thrown his name about a little bit, and it's because I'm reading Console Wars right now. Um, But one thing you should know about Tom Kalinske, if you haven't listened to any Gaming History 101s or don't recall him, he was Sega of America's president during the Genesis era. And basically, he was brought in the second year of the Genesis, 1990, to kind of turn the Genesis around. And he did. 
And for a long time, the Genesis kind of had a market share that rivaled Nintendo and definitely gave Nintendo the biggest run for its money in the 16-bit era. And he will also be the one who it's a real big fallout when this all falls apart with the whole Sega CD, 32X, Saturn, all that shit. And if you want that story and kind of the craziness that was going on with that, I highly recommend the story of Sonic Part 2 which is called Sonic Extreme. It's in the archive. I don't think it's in the feed anymore because it's an older, older episode. I did it with Andy and Allie from 42 Level 1. That kind of tells you a lot of... It talks about Sonic's development, but it gets into a lot of the the fall of Sega during that time and Tom Kalinske's involvement. But anyway, he was head of Sega of America, and in 92, SGI founder James Clark went to talk to him about the utilization of the chip for a new console. Now, here's where the story gets dicey because everybody's got their own version of the story and no one has facts to back it up, like like true, like provable facts. But Kalinske claims he loved it, wanted it for the Saturn. He was always pushing forward for the Saturn. But the Japanese branch held back on account of hardware inconsistencies with the SGI microprocessor and also um, their hope, which was that the 32X was the future, not CDs. So there's probably some truth given the whole 32X versus Saturn debacle, but I'm not sure that that's completely true because obviously they did move forward with the Saturn. And uh, I, I, I don't know. Tom Kalinske doesn't quite have the foresight that console wars would lead you to believe he does. He's just not as... Cr- no person can be that crafty to all the stuff that was going on at this time. Because even Nintendo admits they knew nothing about 3D. They just knew it was the future of gaming. And a lot of people yeah, say yeah. that. You know, like a lot of the companies will admit to that. So it's like the one thing that they all agree on was that 3D was new at the time. Either way, Clark then goes to Nintendo to discuss the SGI chip. Nintendo negotiations are also vague in terms because Nintendo keeps the door closed, but... Sega claims that when the hardware hardware issues were ironed out, um, the other problem was that Sega wanted exclusive licensing rights. They wanted that chip to only be a Sega prod- product that they were licensing. Nintendo claimed it was more appealing uh, with the number uh, as a number producer. So they were like, well, SGI just knew we would sell more units, which, I mean, was always kind of true, but still, that's them being cocky. And they were willing to be loose on licensing of hardware. They didn't want exclusivity, which is weird if you know the story of the PlayStation because that's the whole reason the Sony PlayStation didn't come out on the SNES was because Mm -hmm. they wanted exclusivity. So it's weird that they were a little looser not one year after fucking over Sony. So I, I don't know how much I believe of that either. But Anyway, at the end of the day, Nintendo president Hiroshi Yamauchi, we know him well, uh, there is an episode on him, uh, penned the deal with James (laughs) Clark in 1993 to start making a new console competitor for Sony and Sega called Project Reality. So, uh, and, and that deal also opens up the floodgates with Rare. That's the other thing is Rare's working on Donkey Kong 64 at the time. They might have been pushing Nintendo in that direction anyway. But anyway... Uh, it was announced at Nintendo Space World, which was Nintendo's annual uh, kind of like trade show that it would show off what it was releasing. Uh, Space World 93 in August. During that press event, Nintendo described the relationship with SGI and the hardware that would be in use for arcade games starting in 1994 and a home console for holiday 1995 that would retail under $250. So that's kind of a big hit right there, mm, right? Because at deal. this time, Sony and Saturn have annu- or Sony and Sega have announced um, their consoles, but they haven't talked about price points at all. So, uh, kind of a bold statement to make. 
but anyway um so yeah so jam why don't you talk about the the what's going on at the time so so it's, it's important to note um that a lot was going on with nintendo in these early years um licensing exclusively um, had pulled nintendo away from sony but the you know, the super nintendo playstation and into philips cdi in 1991 and um, so yeah obviously uh, we know a little bit about the story of the cdi here but by late 1993 the cdi was seen as a flop and the two games out link faces of evil and wand of gamelon were getting oh, very yes. reviews and poor sales <laughs> Oh, yes, when Cron CD comes around to those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I should point out also is people have tried to mention this and correct me. The Internet's wrong. Um, the, the CES was CES June of 1991 when Nintendo announced its partnership with Philips. For some reason, the Internet seems to think that was 92 wrong. Um, the mm-hmm. Sony PlayStation was uh, screwed over in 1991. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> Nintendo has never said exactly why it veered away from CDs, um, but the guess is it's a combination of the CDI and Nintendo's lack of control of CD platform. You know, they like to be in charge of distribution of their sort of, you know, their games individually, like that way. Yeah, a lot um, of people will say Nintendo will never admit it, but they had no idea how to make a, a CD console. Uh, it sounds yeah. very much like they had that problem. And if you look at how complicated the Saturn was, you kind of oh, yeah, yeah. see where they were going with it, right? <laughs> Sony was really ahead of the curve on that one. So. Mm. And moving forward, obviously, in 1993, Sony announced the PlayStation. At the time, it was called the PSX, uh, which is which may be why many use, use the PSX moniker instead of the PS1. And it's funny, actually, because I remember loads of magazines saying PSX all the time. I always wondered why as well. Yeah, I know snarky people are <laughs> like, the, the PSX is a, uh, is like a, isn't it like a TiVo or something in Japan, I think, for the PlayStation is it, like a yeah, there was. There was. There, there's a Japanese console, the PSX. The yeah. I, I, it's like a PS2 I, with yeah. a DVR built into it or something. Yeah. Mm. Something like that. But yeah. I, yeah, I'm guessing uh, this is where the PSX came from. Anyway. Yeah, that, that that makes complete sense. Absolutely. Um, basically, yeah. So Sony wanted to focus on 3D renders, polygons, and um, power at an affordable price. It announced the console and was courting third parties. Of course, uh, Sony was quite successful by late 1994 when the console released uh, when the console released they had pulled significant third parties from nintendo and sega so yeah obviously we talked about a few of those earlier like you know konami and um, capcom and all those people and don't forget remember uh they they lost uh sega actually lost uh idos oh yeah uh tomb raider (laughs) because of their launch plans yeah so sony was quick to grab up those third parties whenever they could uh Mm. smart smart move on the biz dev side uh you know sony so and also in 1993, Sega announced a joint venture, venture with Hitachi to make a free 32-bit CD-ROM gaming platform. It was said to be highly customized and also focused on polygonal polygonal renders. I'll believe the highly customized if you've mm-hmm. seen the guts of the Saturn. I don't know about CD <laughs> po- uh, polygonal renders. Uh, yeah. It could do them, but uh, I yeah. think it doesn't get a whole lot better than Panzer Dragoon, and that's a rough game. That's a rough game mm. to go back to. <laughs> Not aged well, but <laughs> or graphically anyway. I mean, yeah. it's a good game. It's good. just before people <laughs> jump us for that. Uh, yeah, Heck says, from what I remember reading, the PSX in Japan was like a game dev thing for consumers. Well, again, it was. I, I looked it up while we were talking. It was a uh, a DVR, but yes, people did hack <laughs> the shit out yep. of it. So, all right. 
Moving on, let's go into the Ultra 64 era. So by 1994, Project Reality had become Ultra 64. In the summer of 1994, Nintendo revealed the console for the first time, Sans Controller. It should be noted that it, it was Sans Controller. Um, it touted a 64-bit processor, putting it ahead of all competitors. Sorry, Jaguar, your Tom and Jerry 32-bit coprocessors do not <laughs> count as a 64-bit console. Uh, but it also revealed... Math. What? Do the math properly. <laughs> right, do the math, yes. Which is ironically what our Atari episode uh, was called. Uh, so you I can check you. that in the... Uh, but it also revealed cartridges as the media format. This led to more than a few articles in gaming mags about the choice of Nintendo to turn its back on the high-capacity CD. This was also the infamous location where the Final Fantasy VII tech demo was shown off by SGI. Now, Jam, are you familiar with the Final Fantasy VII tech demo? Yeah, I, I have a familiar with it, but um, I didn't sort of know it was linked to SGI, though. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, SGI so just was the ones showing it off because they did their partnership. Mm. But basically, SGI just made a quick render. It's about three minutes long, and of course, there's tons of VHS video of it on YouTube. Um, and it's three characters from Final Fantasy VI. I think Shadow's one of them. Mm -hmm. Just walking around. And they were like, yeah. this is what Final Fantasy VII could be. And everyone was like, what the fuck? And that was that. <laughs> um, obviously, Final Fantasy VII would never see a Nintendo console, but, you know, that nice. was very big at the time. Uh, later in 1994, Williams and Nintendo announced a co-venture uh, and uh, the first two uh, for arcades and the first two Ultra 64 arcade games were announced. Those were Killer Instinct and Cruisin' USA, both of which would also receive home ports on the Ultra 64 console. Although, if you're paying attention, it wasn't exactly Killer Instinct that came to the Ultra 64. Anyway, um, if you have, uh, sorry, if, you, if you've ever loaded up those arcade games, you'll see a splash screen that announces the Ultra 64 coming to home consoles in 1995. Um, do you recall that, Jam? Were you in the arcades playing those games at that time? I don't... I don't I'll, be, I'll be honest, I didn't see these arcade games in, in my local arcades, to be honest. Okay. I didn't see Killer Instincts or Cruising so which is a shame. I have seen them, obviously, since then. Yeah, if you load um, them in MAME... Sort of period, yeah. If you load them yeah. in MAME and let their splash screens go, especially Killer Instinct, which had some really impressive ones... Um, yes. Yeah. 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 You can see the uh, the uh, the the Ultra sixty four coming home or something in that uh, in that stuff. But anyway, unlike the console, though, these arcades actually used a souped up microprocessor and a full PCB ROM board uh, for the game, along with a hard drive for streaming pre rendered cutscenes. And that those were very impressive arcades at the time. So, mm. but um, but yeah. Uh, on in May 1995, Nintendo announced the that the Ultra 64, slated for holiday release later that year, would be delayed until April 1996. This was significant from, uh, sorry, this was significant because the Saturn and PlayStation would already be out in Japan at that time, uh, and uh, were headed to the U.S. in the fall. So this puts a six-month head start for the Saturn and which. That next month, it would have been more than six-month head start for the Saturn. And um, so nine-month head start for the Saturn and six-month head start for the PlayStation. So the Saturn had almost been out in America for a year, mm. ideally when the Nintendo 64 came out. Of course, we know it'll get delayed again. So, you know, there is that. So um, the other thing, though, was the price point, which, disregard what's written here, but uh, yeah, the $250 price point at the time was enticing. 
uh, especially because a month later Saturn would announce $400 as their price point and PlayStation would go 300 oh, yeah. <laughs> So it was the lowest priced console. And technically speaking, at that time, and maybe in actuality, I haven't done the bare bones numbers. I will for Gaming Tech 101 when we get around to the, this generation. I think the N64 is the most powerful console. Um, you know, hand for hand like strength. Uh, the N64 yeah. wouldn't actually release until uh, September 95 in the U.S. And Ed Samred for EGM wrote a piece uh, in the summer suggesting that Nintendo had no true intentions of launching in April when they announced their delay. So there you go. Um, at Space World 1995 in November, Nintendo announced uh, the, or showed off the finished hardware, complete with demos and the controller. It had been rebranded as the Nintendo 64 and had a very odd controller. I remember back then reading in the magazines about the controller and wondering how the hell that would work. How about you, Jam? Do you do you remember pre-launch stuff, wondering how that controller was going to hold handout? Yeah, that, there's always this kind of mystery curiosity thinking, because uh, they didn't they don't really show you. They just showed you the controller itself. They didn't show people holding it. That's, for, that's from my memory anyway. Right. I think I remember later on like a vhs there was like a hype vhs that came out from nintendo where i think shigeru miyamoto but i might just be placing him in the place of every japanese guy i saw from nintendo back then um was showing off how you held the controller in fact that might have actually been howard lincoln uh, anyway i just remember somebody showing how you'd hold the controller because i know nintendo knew that was kind of something to overcome nintendo always touted that the n64 controller felt natural in the hands but looked weird on the outside so but anyway nintendo also announced worldwide branding strategy finally converging the east and the west to the to one name for the console none of this nes famicom stuff anymore mm-hmm uh, Nintendo also announced the distribution and packaging model would remain the same worldwide, which was huge for the U.S. because gamers were not used to no pack-in game and only one controller. Now, I yeah. was curious how that worked in Europe. Did you get a launch N64? I, did, I didn't personally get a launch N64, but I know that the console wasn't t- packed in with a game to start with. You had to buy oh, a no, console no. separately. It, it wasn't, it. but I mean, was that weird yeah. for Europe, or were you guys used to not getting a second controller or a game with your console? Well, it was a bit unusual for some people because, you know, by this point, um, at least with the N64, well, because of the consoles that released before this, stuff like the Super Nintendo and the Mega Drive, That's they were what I'm releasing about, those. Yeah. They were, they were releasing those bundles with the Mega Drive 2 where it did come with two controllers and like a compilation of multiple games. So at this point, people were a bit spoiled um, right. in terms of what you could get. But obviously, people were obviously more interested in the new hardware. I mean, the PlayStation was the same as well. That came with no, you got the, that awesome demo disc. <laughs> so that's what you got with that. But you didn't get a second controller. Well, um, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting a little bit of buzz on your end. Oh, wait, it, it went away. Oh. Never mind. Um, okay, good. But I just remember, like, even with the Saturn, right? Wasn't the first bundle that came out, like, it was optional. It was more money. I think it was 500 But I think there was a Saturn bundle where you got two controllers and, like, Virtua Fighter and something else, like Daytona USA. So, like, Saturn was mm-hmm. doing it. it. There was always that feeling that PlayStation coming with just the demo disc and one controller, that was Sony coming new into the game, and that was going to be their thing because of the PlayStation was so much cheaper, Right. Yeah. But everybody kind of expected Nintendo to do what they'd always done, which was two controllers in a game. And so I remember that being, especially for parents, a little daunting. Oh, yeah. yeah. My, my, I mean, definitely. Yeah. My, you know, my parents found it a bit odd. Um, we, we got a PlayStation before the N64. They found it odd. They only came with one controller. 
Right, right. So, um, all right. Well, let's move on to pre-launch. But before we do, I've got a little mm-hmm. treat for you. So, Jim, we're going to play that treat now. So here we Albert go. <laughs> here we go. You want to see something really cool? Check this out. Whoa! What am I, a monkey? Uh, you can zoom in, zoom out, change angles. Go anywhere you want to go. Do anything you want to do. Here we go. This place is really sweet. Whoa, I'm out of here. Change the system. Change the system is what it says, <laughs> right? which is interesting. Okay, since you guys can't really see it too much, that whole commercial, this was the first N64 ad that ran in 1995. Uh, I'm sorry, 1996 at the system's launch. Um, but it's all Mario 64, which if you're Pilot Wing 64 mm. coming out at the same time, you're like, hey. Because <laughs> it's nowhere to be seen on this commercial. Um, and he's just playing around with Mario, but it's showing off a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the camera angles and everything. But, uh, and then at the very end, it's, it's, it's telling you to go buy the N64, but it's not saying it. Um, they're really playing down the console and the controller though, I will say. So, mm. so anyway, so let's talk about the pre-sales and launch. Yeah. Yeah. So in the United States, the Narabin hype behind the N64 is pretty incredible. Advertisements also are basically compared you um, compared you buy Nintendo. Commanded, they basically commanded commanded you, you to buy yeah. Nintendo's new console. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what this reminds me of? Actually, just when listening to that trailer as well, is the um, do you remember the, those infamous Sega CD commercials where they're very nineties? Like Yo, saying, you want Yo. something with a ton of colors, <laughs> you little bitch? Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the black guy <laughs> that's all angry, yelling at you, and <laughs> the white guy's pressed against the wall. I mean that that. That may not have been their 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 choice, but that's kind of what it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> that yo buy but this anyway. console because you're an idiot. <laughs> Nintendo's just slightly politer than that. They're just like <laughs> Nintendo kind of pitches it like, why wouldn't you, right? Um, yeah. But I do think that there was a lot of conscious mind in Nintendo's advertising, especially because they spent so much on it. That was like. Mm. You're gonna you're gonna want to plan for this. You're gonna want to go pre-order this because that was a big thing, and we'll talk about that in a sec. But you're gonna want to get ahead of this. I remember that very distinctly. Like the the magazines were too. Like everybody was doing a PSA of like go take care of this now. You know, don't wait. Um, and 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 you know, a lot of parents, my mom included, thought it was all hype. But there's a lot of there's a lot of logic to that. Like you know. Um, but again, it's it's just it's the hard thing. Oh, so I one found the the N sixty four launch promo it. tape, which has that ad on it, but it also has. I think that's the thing I got in the mail. Anyway, um, <laughs> and how did I get that Nintendo Power? If you were subscribed to Nintendo Power, you got all these tapes. Um, but anyway, um, so yeah, so that that was why they were commanding you. They were like, go out and take care of this now. But I remember that all summer, summer of ninety six was especially if you went to Funko Land on the Reg, which I did in America. It was fucking nothing but them talking about N64. Mm-hmm. And um, sort of meanwhile, we should say, Sony and Sega both dropped the price of the PlayStation and the Saturn to um, $199.99, which is quite shocking for the Saturn, considering that's a huge drop from their usual 
price there. Yeah, plus um, it's fast. You got they're not even a year yeah. old, and they're down a hundred bucks. Mm. You know that was that was pretty impressive on both Sony mm. and Sega. You can tell they're feeling the pressure of uh, Nintendo. You know, because at the Absolutely. time that they dropped that price, Sony's thinking we will actually undercut Nintendo now. We will be cheaper than mm. the N sixty four. Um, so they're definitely feeling the pressure. And then I think Sega was just desperate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. It's like, take is just, please, please buy the Saturn. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> ah, so suck your dick! <laughs> no, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> but. So, but, but Nintendo fought back with two, uh, with, with two new tempting offers. First off, the console would launch with an official date of September 26th, or... Although um, someone I've always screwed this up and listed it as the 29th. This is what you were talking about earlier. All actually. the ads <laughs> said the 29th. Yeah. And all the stores oh. were told the 26th. Oh, it, it was actually very confusing. But this was the first time I recall everyone being on board with the same launch date, right? Obviously, the Saturn had a really fucked launch date. And the PlayStation just kind of trickled in in the fall of 95. Um, but the, the N64 had a firm date everywhere. Everyone you called up and talked to that got into this program, KB Toys, Funko Land, Toys R Us, they all had the same date. Everybody knew when they were coming in and they were prepared with like pre-order plans and everything. Uh, do you recall if that was the case in Europe or did you not really deal with any of that? We, I don't, I don't really remember. I don't even remember there being pre-orders over here. I mean, there probably, there might've been absolutely, but I, I still felt that we were at that stage over here where you just went into the store and brought it. Okay, okay. No, that's fair. Again, like like we were already seeing, this was definitely a Nintendo-centric, or a, a, a mm. West-centric, US-centric launch. We were definitely the target market for the N64. I don't care what anybody says. Mm. So, anyway. Oh, so, so I also mentioned it then, that Nintendo was also advertising the console at the same price as the PlayStation and Saturn's price drop at 199.99 as well. Um, that was huge. Uh, yeah, a pretty big deal. <laughs> like that was huge. No, because 250 is uh, with the game because Mario was 60 bucks, I think. Uh, that was 210. Or sorry, at 250. That was 310 bucks. 310 bucks is out of the realm of possibility. No matter how much Christmas money I got, my birthday is right after Christmas. No matter how much I merged those together, that was not a day one purchase. You know what I mean? Uh, mm. I was actually I I had a Saturn or not a Saturn a uh, PlayStation, and I was contemplating selling my PlayStation to get it. I'm not gonna lie. Um, but when it went down to 200. 260 for the combo was a little more touchable because I could probably get my parents to do like 150, maybe a little bit more for birthday and Christmas combined. And then I could put in my own 50 at the time I was employed. I was only 14, but I did have a part-time job. Um, so I could put in my own 50 and bam, I got the console. And then um, I could ask relatives for the games. You know what I mean? And what really happened mm. was my parents just bought everything and then my relatives paid them back. But like my grandma was pretty good for one N64 game. You know what I mean? It took some collaboration, but it was it was more in the realm of possibility now. Um, mm. Definitely. So. Absolutely. This kind of goes on to the point we've just been discussing as well is that with its official release date, many retailers were getting ahead of the game with pre-orders. Um, Pre-orders didn't exist for the Saturn PlayStation, but they weren't as firmly in place or planned as they were for the N64. That's kind of kind of going on. We've kind of just discussed that, really. 
Uh, yeah, like I recall Astro- with yeah. the Saturn and PlayStation, I think you had to buy them like right away. Like you had to pre-buy the whole damn thing, but maybe not at KB. And I don't remember Toys R Us even being on board. I definitely remember Toys R Us and Funko Land having a true deposit pre-order program in place for the N64. So. I guess it would have been hard to pre-order the Saturn since they surprised people at E3. <laughs> no, that was the other available. problem was those that pre-ordered were suddenly called oh, yeah. in to buy it. That's what it was. You would put like a $100 oh. deposit down on the Saturn and you didn't even know the price yet. And then all of a sudden you were getting a call out of the blue, right? It hadn't even hit magazines mm. yet and the internet wasn't widespread. You were getting a call in the middle of the summer. You thought the Saturn was like three months away. You get a call that says, hey, it's here. Come pick Barge. it up. Like, and I need 400 bucks on top of your deposit if you want that launch bundle. I was like, damn. <laughs> yeah. But And then, of course, people have seen the PlayStation like, uh, maybe I'll go to the other guy. <laughs> so yeah right uh playstation yeah. i think was pretty i we did a playstation episode but i think it was pretty well stocked yeah. at launch anyway anyway at toys r us you could pre-order the console for 50 dollars, paying the additional 150 dollars when the console arrived mm-hmm. um so you obviously put it here that you remember your parents being very skeptical about this <laughs> well my parents were but so were a lot of the others and then they started talking yeah. to each other fucking parents talking to each other ruined video <laughs> games um <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no. Like my friends, a lot of my friends, uh, other than like the rich ones who always got whatever they wanted to on Christmas, uh, their parents wouldn't pre-order that. Um, a lot of people got screwed. In fact, I'll, I'll tell my my how I got an N sixty four at launch story soon. But yep. yeah, like uh, like most of my friends did not get it. That's why everyone came over to my house because I was lucky enough yep. to figure out a way to buck the system. But yeah, mm. so. I mean, the same was true for the two launch games, um, Super Mario 64 and Pilot Rings. Or uh, although, do you, do you not remember whether you, was there a deposit to put down for that? I forgot. I want to say it yeah. was ten bucks. You paid ten bucks, and you paid mm. the rest when you came back. Mm. Um, and and to be clear, pre-ordering Super Mario 64 was probably just as important, if not more important, than yeah. the console. I read, I read story. I heard stories from people saying that you pretty much had to have that reserved Mario 64 at launch. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was pretty crazy. Um, and again, my mom, the idea that in June, my mom wanted me to have the discussion of Christmas and birthday and integrate my own money and integrate my grandparents and put 60 bucks down today on a console that was over 200. Like it's you can see like from her perspective, that's a tough sell. I should also point out that my parents were newly divorced and doing the first Christmas alone, you know, kind of thing where they had to collaborate Christmas together, but as separate people. Mm. And my dad was definitely not over the divorce yet. And the other thing that was kind of challenging was a lot of people told me that when your parents get divorced, you get two Christmases. That was not the case in my house. Uh, And it wasn't, my parents weren't, my parents weren't like not well off. Like they made good money, but like they decided, no, the budget would remain the same for Christmas. It's just that we would collaborate together. So my parents were so stringent on not giving us two Christmases that they were willing to deal with each other in the same room on one holiday, major holiday and collaborate on gifts. So Mm -hmm. great news for my parents and like their ability to be parents outside of divorce, but shit news for me um 
you know, because I did just put it. I thought I was going to just put them up against one another. Whoever gets me the N64 is my favorite parent going into this first Christmas. Go, you know. But that wasn't going to work. <laughs> I wasn't going to work with my parents. So, mm. anyway. In fairness, most people, most um, sort of friends I had that had parents that divorced, they 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 didn't have two Christmases either, <laughs> from what I remember. See that that's a Hollywood <laughs> fucking myth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Anyway. Sorry, well, I was just drinking that. Oh, no, sorry. Console, Lord, it, it sold out immediately <laughs> in, in America. I remember... <laughs> so, America. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> I, I was going to say, because when I get to my Lord story, I was going to say, not so much that the case around where I was, but... And um, so, so you put you before you put here, you remember anyone who didn't pre-order being screwed and Nintendo warning that the console would trickle into stores, um, but that may not be in conjunction with the games. There was even an instance of people getting consoles without games and vice versa. I do remember that, actually. People mm-hmm. buying the games before they had the console yep. or rain checks as holiday gifts. I did have a friend who opened a rain check for an N64 before March 1st as a, as a Christmas present. Yeah. He mm. just got a little Toys R Us slip. <laughs> His parents brilliant. put it in a big <laughs> so box. It was pretty good, yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so... All right, you can tell your story as to how you got your N64, but I can tell you real quick my launch story. Um, So yeah, the other challenge was once the console came out, my mom didn't want to buy an N64 without a Mario 64 or vice versa, and the problem was the stock usually didn't come in the same way. I'm guessing because Nintendo was direct distribution on the console, and the games were distribution from, like, you know, probably cart distributors, but I don't Mm -hmm. know. I don't know. You would think Nintendo would be direct on all those, but I have no idea how it worked at this point. It's well documented how it worked in the other two eras, but not this one. Anyway, so I I needed a a perfect storm, Jam. I needed my mom to... It it had to be closer to Christmas so my mom would talk about it. September 29th was about as good as we could get. Um, Because I remember specifically this happening on September 29th. Um, but, uh, uh, But the other thing was... We had to find both the console and the game in stock, and it had to be like it was just a perfect storm that never should have existed. Um, and it had to be um, a uh, like like in stock. You know what I mean? So of course, September twenty sixth comes and goes. A couple of people at school got the pre orders, but no one was really talking about it. No one that was my friend. None of my friends got mm. it. On the 29th, I go to Funko Land. And I brought everything. I brought my Sega Genesis, all my games, about 21 games. I brought my Sega CD. I brought my PlayStation. And I brought a bunch of games, including Resident Evil. I was ready to sell Resident Evil. Wow. All all there on September 29th into GameStop. Or Funko Land, sorry. Later GameStop. And asked what they would give me for all of it. They rang everything in. And I had about... I want to say it was somewhere in the vicinity of two to two fifty, so I had that, and I said, "Cool, do you have any N sixty fours in stock?" And the guy fucking laughed me out of the store. Um, <laughs> oh my god, he was like, "No, no, we don't, and we're not gonna get any soon, and I don't know when we're gonna get them." And he goes, "And and it was it was one of the few times a guy at Funcoin was actually cool to me. He he looked down at me and he goes, "Listen, I'm gonna tell you, kid, you got a lot of good stuff here." Don't give it all up for the N64. Mario 64 is a great game. It's awesome. We've got it here. You can play it. But don't don't give up all this stuff for this. You know, he said, just don't do it. 
And I remember putting all this stuff in a bag and then calling my mom and I had to have my mom come pick me up. I was 14. So, um, and, uh, my mom had to come pick me up and it was at this, like, it's a strip mall. There's like Best Buy's across the street at this time. And next to us was like a Kohl's next to the Funko Land. And then there was a, a, a Hibachi place and a JCPenney catalog. So I don't know if you had this in your country, Jam, but JCPenney would send out a catalog. And if you didn't want to pay for shipping to your store or to your home, you could send it to the JCPenney catalog store. And it was this little strip mall thing. I mean, think about it. It's the size of a comic shop. And it just held, when JCPenney delivered all its stuff to the mall that was down the street, it would just drop by this place and drop off all the people who wanted it shipped directly to JCPenney store for free shipping. They just throw it on the truck. And you go pick up your orders there. The other thing you could do was you could return stuff that you got that you didn't like. And you can tell this is a real... testament of the times it was open on sundays because uh september 29th was a sunday i remember that very explicitly so i'm waiting for my mom to show up and i'm trying to decide if i want to walk to mcdonald's which is at the end of this strip mall it's a freestanding mcdonald's but it's at the end of the strip mall if i want to walk there with all this shit in my hand because of course you know what i had i had two grocery bags plastic grocery bags with all my consoles in it and stuff do i want to walk all the way over to mcdonald's and try to grab like a probably a small shake or something or not. And I'm pacing back and forth trying to figure this out in front of this JCPenney catalog place. And I look over and I see this woman returning an N64 and a Mario 64, or at least I think she's returning it or she's picking it up. Either way, I saw an Mm. N64 and I focused on her. And I remember seeing her leave the JCPenney and the woman putting the console and the game behind the counter. So I storm into this JCPenney and I go, excuse me, um... Did that woman just buy that? Is she picking that up? What's the deal? And she goes, no, no, she's returning it. And I said, oh, okay. So she returned it? She goes, yeah, we issued her a refund on it. And I said, did she open it? Did she say why? No, no, she just didn't want it anymore. And I said, oh, okay. I said, can we buy that? Can I buy that? And she goes, well, no, we're not like a direct retailer. We can't ring up stuff. Plus, this has to go back to a warehouse and everything for allocation. And I sat down and told this woman my sob story and all the situations with the N64. And she must have been mildly smitten (laughs) by the fact that this 14-year-old kid is doing all this. And I even told her, I said, look at these bags. These are all my video game consoles that I was trying to sell to get an N64. I said, but my mom will totally buy it for me for Christmas. But she needs it to be this perfect storm. And you've got the perfect storm. And I said, so how do I get this console? How do I get that thing to come home with me today? And she goes, I really don't know, honey. I, she goes, I guess if your mom called in and ordered it, and then right after she ordered it, they'd probably say it was on back order or something, and you gave me the order number, I could call them and tell them I just had a return and probably be able to do it. But since I don't keep cash on me, like even when she did the refund for that other woman, it like went back on her credit card or they were going to mail her a check. She didn't have an actual register there. She just had a workstation. She goes, maybe I can transfer the inventory over and make this work. So naturally, my mom shows up to pick me up, and I'm all freaking out. I throw the, the consoles in the trunk, close the door, and I'm, I'm like telling her this story, and I'm frantic. And of course, it's getting close to closing time for this JCPenney store. It was like 5 o'clock or something. And I convince my mom to go into this store and use the phone there. There was a little table with a phone, and my mom calls them up and orders this thing. And then this woman does this finagling stuff and my mom 
who feels terrible because one, she didn't want to do it this way. She doesn't like the fact that I know my Christmas present. She doesn't like this is all calibrated, but she walks out like we walk out of there with the console. And I was blown away. Like I shouldn't have had it. Um, and she was right to question that because I famously, you know, I think I've talked about it a couple of times. I opened that console and played it religiously all yeah, December. Yeah, I remember the story. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but still, like, the fact that that all happened was just a miracle. And I was forever thankful. So, um, but, uh, but yeah. So, anyway, do you have any similar stories or anything like that in Europe? Or how did you come across your first N64 and when? Oh. Mine's not as exciting as that. I mean, I didn't. I got my N64 for a birthday as like a combined present from my two older brothers when it was a. That's when they did start releasing the N64 packing with a packing game. When they they released it with just one controller with Banjo Kazooie, and that was my first um, N64 console. But my experience with, around the launch period was, of course, I had a Nintendo friend. <laughs> Funny enough, it was the Nintendo friend who was also the only kid that had a Nintendo and a Super Nintendo, because <laughs> of course that's <laughs> of how course, it's all worked. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we we were we were quite excited about it because there was a lot of buzz generated around it, and um, they did have those kind of in-store demo units for it. I remember there's quite a lot of those around actually at the time. You know, the in-store demo units for N64, and the bit that stood out the most was obviously that you could play four-player split-screen. So of course, you know, um, this was the popular kid, and we all went running around there to play um, GoldenEye and Mario Kart. <laughs> so. <laughs> those were the um, those were obviously the, the two well the bet well at least for the time those were the ones that we we wanted to play. Um, obviously, I know those weren't right on launch, but that's that's what made this kid more popular. Of Certainly, um, I, I was quite close. I was quite I was close friends with him, and he he wanted to show off uh, Mario sixty four. Of course, he did because and why wouldn't you? Because it did look yeah. pretty impressive. Yeah, he wouldn't let me play it. Which what I a shit! Just like, <laughs> no, yeah. I remember he's just like just watch, just watch this. Was he an only <laughs> child? Like, like, I bet he was a fucking only child. He was. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, that's old. That's only child syndrome. In my house, everybody got to play it because it didn't matter who was playing it as long as it was not my sister. <laughs> no, you're completely right there. But I mean, yeah, it's quite. It was, it was, I always thought that was really. Sorry, never mind. I was just watching the N64 <laughs> kid go nuts. I didn't play those theatrics because uh, because I knew I was getting it <laughs> anyway. But yeah. but yeah, but I remember I remember being very sort of smitten with the with the, uh, the, uh, the the graphics and just and how colourful it was, of course, as well. And uh, it's it's so funny because everyone I know um, the guys before you don't want to joke at me, say, oh, you didn't play Mario sixty four for ages. I know I didn't. I watched it. <laughs> That's what I did. Right? Yeah. I, <laughs> it was YouTube before YouTube. Mm. But uh, the, I think the first N sixty four game I played was probably Goldeneye actually, and then then quickly Mario Kart sixty four after that. But but yeah, but it, it was um, the, the the controller was again it was just like watching him use the controller. I remember him being very confused about it to start with because he held it because I think most people they held it um, where you had the D pad, the D pad part, and the other part like that. They didn't know how you reached your thumb across to use the control nub. And if you right. looked in like the... if you held it like it looks like it's supposed to be held where it's actually supposed to be held with your left hand kind of up against the analog stick and your right hand over the buttons. Which right. completely I'm removes right. D-pad and L from being possible buttons. <laughs> Absolutely. And I remember, I think, I remember, certainly when I got my console, um, there is actually, the, Nintendo gives you this kind of like instruction leaflets of how to hold the controller. It might be in the instruction manual for the games, actually, where it tells you which way to hold the controller. I think it is, you know, I just sold my, uh, 
my brother-in-law's box copy of Conkers, but I and he had everything in there, and I yeah. I think it did. I think it it was in the game. It usually told you which way to hold it, yeah. And um, but this obviously because we were young kids at the time, you know, we didn't look at instruction manuals anymore. We just played the game. <laughs> so. So yeah, that that's kind of my that, that was my early my earliest experience of it, and then but when obviously when I eventually got my own N64, um, you know, I, I was very smitten. I've I've always been quite a fan of the system actually ever since I owned it myself and was quite keen to. I was a very but the funny thing about me, we're going to get onto this a bit later, is I didn't actually own my 64 until very recently, just by owning the console. Yeah, yeah, that just makes you foolish. Doesn't make you anything. I else. know. <laughs> <laughs> it was expensive around it. That, I oh, I bet it was. Yeah. Being, you went. You talked about price in America. I remember that game being sold for sixty pounds over here, and that's <laughs> back in those days. That was crazy money. Yeah. For an N64 game. And in typical Nintendo fashion, those games didn't generally drop in price either. I mean, your only luck was getting it secondhand. That's probably why I never owned Mario 64 for quite a while. It's even even on the, you know, the used market, it was still asking for crazy, crazy prices. Yeah. Oh no, no. Uh, I mean, is it has it balanced out better now? Yeah, I found recently. Even I was even doing a bit of preparation before the show um, that. The N64 games generally have declined in price a lot. I mean, okay, because because like I, I live, I I was I was you know I was living in that era. I looked at prices and stuff. Even if you were to buy some of the more expensive games today, I mean, the only crazy pricey ones now like Conquest Bad Fur Day, which go for over eighty pound over here, mm-hmm. even cart only. But even some of the more sort of niche titles, you can easily find gold now over here for under sort of twenty pounds still. You know, if you're looking at the right places, um, you know, Mario Kart 64 probably about twenty five pounds on a good day. You know, but not not as bad as like when they were brand new, when they were sort of sixty quid. You know, because no, I, I you know I, I rarely could afford to buy brand new. I, I pretty much all of my games I got were probably second hand. I think I've, I don't think I think I, I brought two brand new N64 games, and those were Perfect Dark and a game called Operation Winback. Those are the only two new N64 yeah, games. Yeah, Winback. <laughs> I only I, know I, that I, because of you. I know, yeah. Cover base shooter, again. Gears of War before <laughs> Gears is, of War, yeah. Very early. The N64 started everything. Um, you know, and, and I've played early cover base shooters. I recently got to play PsyOps, and whoa, that is early cover. Um, but anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah. Yeah, it was a very interesting time. So, all right, well, let's get into the hardware real quick. I won't spend too yep. long on this, and we're going to go games. So I've also yep. talked to Chip. We may go a little late on this one. We may go straight up to uh nine o'clock eastern and then just do our quick announcements for the last five minutes and go over a little but anyway won't matter to you in the pre-recorded area um but yeah (laughs) the n64 did in fact use a 64-bit nec vr 4300 microprocessor clocked at 93.75 megahertz so pretty strong the meat of the console, though, lies in the SGI 64-bit reality coprocessor known as the RCP at 62.5 megahertz that handles all graphical rendering, output, and audio. One of the oddest decisions in this console was the choice to have the RCP handle audio because you basically had to strip graphical elements to make room for sound. Uh, do you recall this? That's why Nintendo apparently has all the shit uh <laughs> nintendo 64 is mostly shit uh sound except for in yeah. uh, nintendo games because you have to plan for taking away from your your engine basically in order to get sound i think it was mm. one or two percent per channel so 
if you wanted eight channels of audio, you're giving up like a fifth of your game engine and renders. It's pretty big. Um, it's even odder when you consider that the, the uh, Red Book Audio powered the gorgeous soundtracks of its competitors. That's true. Of all the things you can say about the Saturn, it definitely nailed the, uh, the N64 in most soundtracks. Um, but aside from raw polygonal renders that were the focus of PS1 and Saturn, tons of special effects were put into the graphic chip of the RCP, such as um, antistrophic filters, uh, anti-aliasing, um, triple antistrophic filter, uh, and Z-buffering. Lots of, lots of crazy special effects going on in there. It's kind of the idea nowadays of do you want a 4K image with no particle effects or do you want a 1080p image with a ton of particle effects? You know, you tell us. The anti-aliasing being the most notorious, which gave that fuzzy, blurry look to all the uh, N64 games. Um, but apparently with this pro action replay code I've got, and once I get my RGB back, I can crispify that stuff. But if you've ever looked at like rare replay or various other things, um, like Turok on the mm. PC, oh, you yeah. can see yep. that N64 actually looked pretty dazzling once you, uh, once you rendered it in truth, except for the way it handled, excuse me, textures, unless you re-render the textures, which a lot of people don't, um, those are uh, kind of like butter put over too much bread, to borrow a uh, metaphor from from Lord of the Rings. Everything looked like a stretched out, non-scaled uh, bitmap. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a JPEG that's two hundred by three hundred that was stretched out to be sixteen hundred by nineteen hundred. You know, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Um, it did have four uh, megabytes of onboard RAM with an expansion port that made available uh, made available in the jump pack at the front of the console. I'm sure you're familiar with that jam where there's the jumper pack in the front. Yep. You need yep. it. You actually need the jumper pack, which has no RAM in it. I don't believe. Um, but it's just like it covers the slot. I think you need a jumper pack in order for the console to run. So if you're going to buy an N64 console, make oh, sure it either has the jump pack or the expansion pack, but it needs one. Um, and if you need to know how to get those out, if the ribbon, the very brittle ribbon on those has broken off, you take a butter knife and you make sure you hit it into the slot on the jump pack or the red, uh, the, the pack. I just swapped them out recently when I shipped away my console to be modded. Cause I'm not going to include the expansion pack just in case anything happens. Uh, and I have two N64s. So anyway, um, most games rendered at 240p, like all retro consoles, although later in time the RAM, ex- RAM expansion did allow rendering in 640 by 480 interlaced for 480i. Many games admittedly don't take advantage. Retronauts recently discussed the possibility of the $50 savings on the console may have been due to the RAM being dropped out uh, from 8 megabytes to 4 megabytes pre-release. So it's an interesting concept that maybe that RAM expansion's why uh, the console got cheaper, but... Either way, it was weird. But, all right. So how about we talk about the legacy, the games, the game is. So, um, first and foremost, that whole console was based around Super Mario 64. And uh, that's that's pretty much it, in my opinion. Um, But Mario 64 was huge. And I kind of want to talk about it for a second. Um. Yeah. Did you see demos, in-store demos of Mario 64 pre-launch yes, or post-launch? everywhere. And what was, what was your impressions of that? Well, I was mostly, um, 
what it, it seems so weird talking about this today considering what games are like now but it was pretty awesome just to just run around that castle you know just do yep. what you wanted really yeah like, climb yeah. the trees and swim in the water and this is a very sort of early, very, very early sort of example of just open world. I know it wasn't open world, it was still kind of linear, but, but it's the fact that you had all this room to kind of maneuver and run around. Yeah. Well, and and Mario's voiced. Of all things, we just talked about the shitty sound channels. Oh, yeah, of course. This is the first time I'll Charles Martinet puts... Yeah. <laughs> Hello! Press start to play! And you could stretch out his shit, and then when you hold Z... <laughs> you know, we didn't <laughs> talk about that, too. That's another thing. The Z button being there. That mm. made first-person shooters very... Um, button. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. It's very interesting, but... Uh, but yeah, um, but yeah, Charles Martinet voicing that for the first time was a big deal. Um, yeah, I don't know. There, there was there was a lot of uh, very interesting, I don't know, con- concepts. I guess I would I would say. But well, all the early demos I remember seeing were it just seemed to run through like a collage of the different sort of levels. It where it did they did the castle. It did the infamous bit with Bowser where you grab him by the tail and swing him swing him around and stuff. And you you just kind of watched this thinking, what how how do you do these things in this game? <laughs> you know, because bearing in mind, you know, your experience up to this point is unless you, of course, yeah, PlayStation does have 3D games, of course, but. When you think Nintendo, you think Super Mario on a 2D plane. You don't think of him in this third dimension where he's you know, whipping bowels around his head and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I remember that was the first time you really saw the value of the analog. And probably the first time where when you saw that first guy take his uh, palm and put it on top of the analog nub and roll it around a lot to get Bowser swinging, which... yeah. Pro tip, actually, swinging Bowser really fast is not the best way to handle Bowser in that scenario. But, um, but yeah, um, uh, that was your first hint at how that analog stick is going to break fast. <laughs> at least until Mario Party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mario Party was the other notorious one where those mini games, yeah, broke broke analog nubs. Uh, bashing them over uh, friends' heads actually claimed a decent number of them as well so but uh <clears throat> so Kossin in the chat's like i just realized you guys are going to eventually do a wii show that sucks <laughs> and i wrote to him and i <laughs> said we've actually already done it uh believe it or not uh that was uh episode 15 i think it was so yeah the wii episode's done <laughs> but uh so yeah, we'll I Wii U soon, what? <laughs> oh, so we'll do the Wii U soon. God, we will. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I didn't think about that. Yeah, we got a Wii U episode coming up soon. That'll be the shortest show we do. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, Mario sixty four I thought was cool. I I love that yeah. game. Collecting all one hundred twenty stars is quite a chore. If you've never played it near to the end, certain levels like Magic Carpet Ride or TikTok Clock. Or there's a couple of stars in there that's just, it's soul crushing. It really is. Um, I have a save right now that has 118 stars and I don't think I'm going to get the last two. I don't think I've ever gotten the 120 stars. Ever. Mm. Have you? Probably not. No, no, I haven't. Okay. (laughs) But uh, I've beaten the game. You know, I Mm -hmm. think you only need like 80 to beat the game. And uh, you can still go hunting stars afterwards. Um, But I don't think I've ever gotten the 120 
Um, <clears throat> but either way, uh, yeah, Mario 64 was huge. And that was the game you played when no one was around, right? That was the game you could play by yourself. You could play with a crowd, but that was a game you played by yourself. Um, Pilot Wing 64, I think, gets completely lost in the mix. Did you know anybody who got Pilot Wing 64? I didn't know anybody even owned this game. <laughs> I didn't know this game existed. I always thought it jumped straight from, I'm not kidding, Super Nintendo to like 3DS. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Pilot Wing 64, I'm sure there was a group of people who grabbed it, but yeah, I forgot that this game was a launch game. I, for, I don't think a lot of people bought it. I think it sat on store shelves. Um, I, I honestly don't even remember seeing it on store shelves, to be honest. <laughs> well, it wasn't because it sold out. Um, mm. But, uh, yeah, the, it was it was an early showing, but, uh, oh, God, yeah, eBay's for five bucks. So, yeah, I, I just... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. You can buy it sealed for, like, 50. So, yeah. Uh, Tiger Claw says it's the first game he got on the N64. So, what were your <laughs> early impressions, TC? I'm curious. Um, but there were some launch window games I want to talk about, Jim. And I don't know if what you guys got in your neck of the woods. But that holiday season, Wave Race 64 hit. Killer oh, yeah. Instinct Gold hit. Uh, Wayne Gretzky's 3D Hockey hit. Um, Cruising USA hit and Shadow the Empire, Shadows of the Empire hit. And for Christmas, I got Shadows of the Empire and Killer Instinct Gold, which is what I was talking about earlier. We actually got Killer Instinct Gold, which is a version of Killer Instinct 2, which you can find in yeah. the Rare Replay collection, but not one. One actually released on the SNES. So, But you... Well, you can get. Well, I was gonna say you, you can get Killer Instinct if you down well on the Xbox One as well. If you downloaded the you know the well, you know the new the games new with one, gold the new thing. Killer Instincts, yeah. If you so buy the season one, season two pack, you can, or you yeah, got it yeah, free as some of the games with gold stuff. But yeah, I bought the full character pack, and I have one and two on the Xbox One mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, the arcade ones. <clears throat> oh, also Mortal Kombat trilogy, and I remember that one being a big one because that retailed for seventy nine ninety nine. No late times. <laughs> well, actually, let's talk about that for a second if you're cool with that. What did you yep. think of no load times? Because I remember people talking about it. I remember that was kind I'm, of your argument to the people on the playground as to why you didn't. I was lucky enough to have a PlayStation and a Nintendo 64. But uh, for a lot of people who had one or the other, that was always the argument was no load times. Well, you know what? what the, only, the only time I noticed it is in is I didn't actually really notice it at the time because a lot of the games that I had in C4 I didn't have in other systems. It's only when I re-brought games that were on both systems. Say, when I, a good, good example is Quake 2, which was on the PlayStation 1 and um, on the N64. Um, that's when you kind of notice it. Unfortunately, you think you, when you kind of went from the two of those, because you, you, the PlayStation 1 does have loads of load times on that one. And yes, load premium section. Then you go to the N64 and you're going, Huh, there's something missing here compared to the PlayStation version. <laughs> so, <laughs> although the PlayStation version actually looks a lot better than the N64 version, I'll say. For the, okay. the 3D models look a lot crisper in that one. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only time I really noticed it. But that was a lot later down the road, though. Um, I, I guess it's just one of those things maybe you just don't think about. But I don't I don't even remember really kids talking about that as an argument. And most people, at least when I was younger, they're arguing because of GoldenEye being four-player split screen, and that PlayStation didn't have a like a four-player game at the time. At least not one that you wanted to play. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm and looking no, and here. You guys at launch got FIFA, of course. 
Turok, <laughs> Turok, which Turok being your launch game Fantastic. does explain why you guys like Turok more. It explains a lot. <laughs> um, Shadows of the Empire was a launch game for you guys, and Wayne Gretzky's mm-hmm. Hockey. And Pilot Wings and Super Mario 64, which, by the way, TC was talking about it. He said that uh, it could be really hard trying to navigate through a cave using a jetpack and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. He said some parts were fun, but it's just the more difficult stuff can be more frustrating. So I could see that. That's that's kind of indicative of most Pilot Wing stuff. I just think it pales in comparison when you have to pick one game to Mario 64. Like, Nintendo sent that out to die. I don't even know why that wasn't free in the fucking console i don't think it would have been any more or less popular even when that was the case so but yeah i just again i i remember shadows of the empire everybody talks shit on shadows of the empire and they say only the first level is good i played it on the game stream i've gone back it's got a great port on gog that looks really nice yeah oh yeah I forgot about that. i yeah. i like that game i unapologetically like a majority of that game it's frustrating but a lot of games back then were frustrating yeah i don't yeah, believe <laughs> people when they tell me that they're not frustrating and so i like shadows of the empire i'm gonna stay on record and say that that game was just as good as it needed to be. Sure, the platforming kind of sucked and stuff like that. You can kind of see that on the live stream I do when I'm dash trying to get through certain parts. But you know what? Jumping was shit on every game back then. <laughs> Jumping Flash is the only exception, and it's barely an exception. Jumping was shit on Tomb Raider. Like, I'm sorry. I It, it, was, a, it was a long long effort <laughs> to do some jumping. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I disagree with the internet on that one. Shadows of the Empire, I am still going to say, was a good game and I liked it. Killer Instinct Gold was a lot of fun um, for my birthday party. My birthday party would be in early January. Uh, for my birthday, I would get a controller, a second controller. And uh, doing two-person versus Killer Instinct stuff was great. It's also the example I give when people tell me that Every N64 game's 3D rendered. I'm like, Mortal Kombat Trilogy, Killer Instinct. Did you forget that fighters were, like, fucking huge this time? Of Yeah, no, there were plenty of 2D stuff. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. But, um, how was FIFA? <laughs> I, do you know what? I didn't play a FIFA game on the N64. I don't think I played any football games on N64. Ah. Which is surprising. I played loads of them on PlayStation. My brother insisted on it, but <laughs> the other thing yeah, was, you know, it's because oh. that wasn't his console. That's why. So. Right. The other thing that was weird was a lot of people asked me, uh, "Cruising USA." A lot of people, I guess, wanted Cruising USA. I wasn't a huge racing guy. Uh, Cruising USA never mm. quite had the appeal that, again, I, I guess the internet seems to think it did. Um, <clears throat> it was a great rental, though, so I'd get it for like a weekend at Blockbuster, you know, and you could have friends over and race and stuff like that. But no one really cared about the campaign too much, as far as I recalled. Um, mm. So. But, uh, all right, so let's, uh, anything else you want to say about the launch games before we move on? Oh, do you want to talk a little bit about Turok? Um, well, yeah, yeah this well, is your chance. Well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I've said many times before, if you're, you're a fan of dinosaurs, if you're a fan of Jurassic Park, which you probably were during this period, then yeah, absolutely, Turok was definitely the game for you, especially if you're a teenage boy, because <laughs> it's, it's shooting dinosaurs. Um, I, I just thought Turok was just, it, it was a, it was very, it was pretty cool for the time. The it was over the top, sort of gory, which is a bit of a odd thing for Nintendo as well, because Acclaim, who, who I believe they developed, it was, it was a, you said it was a Guana Software. Acclaim published it, I believe. Um, 
Yeah, let me look. Yeah, Claim was a publisher. Um, yeah, Turok they published. They published Iguana. Yeah, Iguana Entertainment yeah. definitely did, um, and uh, Acclaim published it. Oh, apparently yeah. Iguana got help from. Oh, duh. no, Night Dive did extra stuff to re-render it on uh, yeah, PC yeah, and Xbox course, yeah. One. Has that Xbox One come out yet? Nope. Uh, okay. Nope. Not yet. Yeah. I'm keeping on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> hold your breath. Uh, but anyway, I will. I will. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so yeah, because this is acclaim was really quite well known in the N64 era. It's kind of bringing the more kind of, not, I would, you know, the more adult games. I guess you'd say the more mature yeah. is probably the better word, isn't it? The more mature games to the platform. They fought that family-friendly uh, concept. Yeah, and um, and Nintendo was fine with it as well. Um, yeah, Terok isn't a great game, and I, I, despite the fact that it, it, the concept is brilliant, I think it's just it's just it's based on a comic book series as well, I believe, uh, that, which is as, as well as another series they picked up from Acclaim, which was um, Shadow Man, which is also released on the N64 as oh, well. Oh yes, things, but, um, <laughs> but it, it was it was a basic basic premise. It was just it was just a 3D uh, first person shooter game. But as we obviously mentioned, this wasn't a common thing um, with console games. Still, they um, the game is a bit looser. It's, it's still it's and just like you said, Fred. Just then, it has jumping in this game. <laughs> which isn't great in this game either. It has platforming segments for a first-person shooter, which is never... Even Half-Life did, though, so I'll, I'll give I it know, to them. They're pretty brutal in this game, though. But <laughs> despite those flaws, though, it is a ton <laughs> of fun. The, the most memorable part of Turok by far is the weapons. You, you have some absolutely crazy weapons in this game, um, which, are, which are great fun. And, you know, it, it's... Um, it's definitely worth when it. I'll say when it comes on Xbox One, it's probably worth looking into. Um, or of course, if you've got a PC, I'm absolutely looking into it right now. You know, it's it's almost. I believe it's on Steam and good old games at the moment. Yeah. Yep. It's increased draw distance. <laughs> yes, which is important because the draw distance of the N64 was about six inches. It's about my eyesight. Um, so yeah. Did yeah. um, I have? Um, <clears throat> yeah. I've got all, I've, I've got every Turok game on the N64 except the third one, which is surprisingly difficult to find. Actually, in it, well, it's not hard to find. It's just that, that goes for a surprising amount of money online for some reason, and um, on, the, on the local, a local store that um, is actually quite close to me. They sell it for a, a ridiculous price, which I'm not paying. Wow. <laughs> well, all right then. Uh, well, um, that's a story in itself. I might for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, like I said, people have always, especially in Europe, spoken very kindly of Turok. Uh, I've, I've, I, I sucked at it, so I really didn't give it much of a chance. But um, we should point out at this point... I think if you're going into it now, it's difficult. Okay, okay. Well, yeah. uh, I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go in the nice version, the pretty version. Um, <laughs> nice version, yeah. But yeah, and so what you get after that first year, and especially around launch time for you guys, but going into it, is you start seeing the trends. So the N64, in between big releases, there wasn't... The next big Nintendo release people were expecting was for Holiday 97 to be Ocarina of Time, which we already knew was in development. We were just waiting for it to come out. Um, But... uh, that was a little ways off. And Nintendo had some other stuff in its in its pocket. But between that time, uh, some of the big stuff that hits uh, is... Or some of the third-party stuff that hits, you've mostly got a ton of racing and sports games. That was huge on the N64. Um, and the... Which makes sense. That's kind of where everybody went. But you do have a bunch of random fighters, you know. Um, uh, obviously... 
you know, people are talking about them in the chat and stuff, but just to throw off a big list, Jam, and then we can delve into some of these if you want to. You got War Gods, you got um, uh, uh, Dark Rift, you've got Clay Fighter 63 and a third. You've oh, God, got. Yeah. <laughs> You've got uh, Biofreaks, which was a, uh, a Midway game. Um, but yeah, you've got all these random fighters that made their way onto the N64, especially early on. And I think people mostly talk about them being kind of crappy on the N64. Were you a big... And then, of course, it started off with Mortal Kombat Trilogy and Killer Instinct. Were you a big fighter fan, like even back then? Or where were you at with fighters? I was a big Mortal Kombat fan back in the day. I don't believe I played any Mortal Kombat game on the N64, though. Or I, I, I own um, the awful Sub-Zero game for the N64, but that, that was not till later down the road. But gotcha. um, I don't think I played. I don't think I played any fighters on the N64. There's even one I didn't know about—a midway game called Mace. Mace. The yeah, I've, Dark heard of, I've heard of all these. Yeah. 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 The gameplay is similar to BioFreaks. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, but uh, it wasn't well wasn't the best well apart from i didn't even have killer instinct either um but it wasn't the best system for fights i know people are going to shout at me smash brothers smash brothers <laughs> smash brothers is the exception not the rule and i don't think it's a fighting game sorry gonna piss everyone off with that one um but uh but or traditional fighting game but yeah and the biggest problem it was was right it used the c buttons for your your buttons four five and six or sorry three four five and six so it was a goofy button scheme um, but yeah, I remember all those coming out. I remember all of them getting pretty much panned, even Biofreaks, man. That was the big selling point on Biofreaks was it was supposed to come out in arcades and it never did. Whereas the rest of these did come out. War Gods and Mace and all that stuff did come out in arcades for Midway. Um, and they got ported over. Um, but, uh, even though they're technical showpieces from a visual standpoint, yeah, they never, they never really sold their worth, uh, on the console, and I was a big fighter fan, still am kind of. I don't like N64 fighters, like at all. Mm. Killer Instinct was okay, but that was because there wasn't not I much else. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but uh, yeah, uh, next up though is let's 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 just let's let the cat out of the bag, and then we'll get into what you really <laughs> want to talk about. But I'm not talking about what you think. But uh, Mario Kart 64 hits in February. You guys get it in the summer. Mm-hmm. That was big. That was a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are you of the school of thought that this is? My wife thinks this is a complete bastardization of of it. the 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 broken portions of the game are ways that people cheat, which is bullshit. Uh, none of the characters work in in the right way, and uh, she doesn't like the game. I love Mario Kart sixty four. I I love it. Yeah. You do. <laughs> okay. That, she hates the highway. Yeah fucking hates the highway really <laughs> yeah. oh, God, I love that <laughs> when that came back in the new mario kart mario kart 8 oh she was so pissed yep. <laughs> toad's so tollway i think is what it is throw control rage moment no <laughs> <laughs> um. i like it i like mario kart cc for a lot i mean I don't know if it's my favorite uh, Mario Kart game, but I did sink a lot of time. So, I mean, the battle mode alone in that game is probably it's probably the favorite. My favorite. That was the only time that battle mode was fun. That's the only game yeah, battle mode absolutely. was fun. I'm going to go on record and say everything after it. Double Dash, not so much. Uh, the rest, ugh. and uh, Super Nintendo was too bare bones. 
It was too easy. Four yeah. people battle mode, especially if you did the cardboard four way, which you already had in place because of Goldeneye. So, yeah, it was perfect. It, it, there was a lot of just that game was multiplayer in general. You know, you, you could enjoy it by yourself, of course, as well. But <clears> the you know you, the four player racing together was fun as well, and the and the battle mode was just a it was a that we, we played a lot of that game back when I was younger. Um, the the other the other thing that was certainly um, appealing as well is I don't I mean I think the Super Nintendo did have this but you could play two player split screen Grand Prix mode so you could two of you could play against the computer in the you know the general circuits as well which was pretty fun me and my brother did a lot of that um, back in the day um, I don't know if you could could you do that in the Super Nintendo version you know where you both split screen and play the sort of like the you know the four races back to back yes yes you could yeah 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 if it, so obviously, I didn't have a Super Nintendo back then, but yeah, I'm a big fan of Mario Kart 64. Absolutely. That bl- that block um, battle level was my favorite. <laughs> Whatever you want there to call you go. It. The Lego, I used to call it the Lego level. <laughs> well, and people are chiming in. Doom Plague loves it. Uh, he said it was most fun he's had with series. Tiger Claw likes it. So, cool. Glad to see I'm not alone. However, the big controversy was when Rare gave them a run for their money about a uh, yeah. later that year, that holiday season with Diddy Kong Racing, Diddy Kong. Yeah. also allowed yeah. by Nintendo, had Conquer in it. Yeah, motherfucker, had Conquer in it, or at least I think it had Conquer in it. It had to have Conquer in it. I believe it did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a cute version. Yeah, it's cute version. Conquer. Safe for yeah. work. Yeah, and <laughs> wasn't Fulgore or something in it? Whatever. Well, something from Killer Probably Instinct. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, <laughs> But a lot of people say that Diddy Kong, the, that's the other debate, is what's better, Diddy Kong Racing or Donkey Kong, or, or Mario Kart 64. Uh, to me, I say buy both and love them both equally. But yeah, yeah, I agree. We yeah. actually have a really good write-up on the competition of this. So just go to Gaming History 101 and, and just uh, in the search box put in Diddy Kong Racing or something like that. And you can see the head-to-head article where uh, somebody actually, uh, it was one of our guest writers, went into uh, in-depth analysis of like the two schools of thought. And, uh, and then of course he makes his own judgment and then tells why, <laughs> but, um, anyway, so yeah, Mario Kart took a little bit of attention. I remember that being more of a holiday thing, but I think the big one, um, it wasn't blast core. Uh, it was actually, uh, in the summer, um, it started with star Fox 64. I remember that making some waves. Mm-hmm. Um, were you Lilat Wars from day one or... I didn't play that Lila Wars day one, but I was a fan of that game. Absolutely, it's, that's that's. I, I, I'm a big fan. I'm a sucker for sort of those sort of space shooter games. I, I have trouble with the dogfighting level. I've never really quite figured that out. I need to sit down with somebody and have them help me with that. There must be like a targeting system that I'm not using. Um, Walk you through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, Star Fox 64 was okay. I remember more people being wowed by it, but it was notably fast to beat i remember people saying just yeah that's what i remember about it it's 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 quite short and sweet it it felt kind of arcadey really Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like i said i just remember a friend of mine buying it uh he was a big star fox fan i wasn't as big of a star fox fan um i thought it was cool on on super nintendo but i never owned it and then I remember him saying he beat it in like a weekend and he said, nah. and so I remember holding off on it. Cause again, these games were 60, 70 bucks and yeah. Star Fox yeah. 64, the rumble pack was technically free with it. I think it was 20 bucks by itself, but if you bought it for 60, it came with the rumble pack for free. But, um, but yeah, um, 
Uh, oh, and somebody's talking about Goemon. Yeah, we should get into Goemon, but we're not going to tonight, unfortunately. I don't think we have time. But the big one was at the end of the summer in August when Goldeneye came out. And Goldeneye, you couldn't wait for oh, Christmas. God. You bought Goldeneye right away. And Goldeneye did two things. That, first of all, was day and date in every territory. Uh, well... Japan got it two days early, but we both got it at the same oh, time. Did yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. Europe, Australia, and America all got it on August 25th, 97. Um, and this was the game that instantly became the must-have in every dorm room. The four players was huge. First-person yeah. shooters for the first time ever were really properly regarded on the N64. And this really, I think, kind of solidified the N64 as the quintessential first-person shooter console uh mm -hmm. platform so um and i really didn't like it uh so um <laughs> uh oh andrew asks yes yeah, so we believe nintendo was the first one with an analog stick so um but uh but yes uh uh so yeah jam do you want to talk a little bit about goldeneye i think you're better equipped for it sure um i mean yeah goldeneye was a big deal i mean is the that I remember countless arguments with friends playing that in split screen because everyone was doing the typical like stop looking at my screen. <laughs> like, right. Jump. Yeah. This is the uh, this is the early the infamous um, cardboard is... box. Yeah. <laughs> cut into four parts over a over a little CRT. Yeah. This is the early example of camping in a first person shooter as well. <laughs> oh yes. Stay in the same. <laughs> Yes. That's what I remember seeing. My brother would just sit in a corner somewhere and just <laughs> mow you down. <laughs> but anyway, um, but regardless of the multiplayer, I mean, I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't a huge fan of the multiplayer itself because I just wasn't that great at it. Um, I can see the appeal of it. I see why people loved it a lot. I, I was a lot more um, a fan of the single player, actually, which was, it did a lot of things which were pretty interesting, especially where this game came from. I mean, it started off as a, as it was supposed to be a light gun game of all things, and it evolved into this. Right. Um, so what, what's, what stands out this, first of all, it's a film tying game that's good, which was quite uncommon for the time, you know, something that's linked to, um, so it, it was at least quite a way after Goldeneye, wasn't it? It wasn't sort of anywhere near the film, I believe. It was, uh, I don't probably, remember when yeah, the film released, came out. Give me a sec, I'll, I'll let you know. Quite a bit. Oh, that's okay. But anyway, the, the so the, the cat, you have objectives basically in the levels. Um, two years later, two years after. Two, yeah, two years later, yeah. So, you get objectives, and depending on the difficulty you select in the game, you get more objectives mm -hmm. complete, which I always found that's quite fascinating back in the day. So the harder you put that difficulty up, the more things you need to achieve. It almost felt like you're unlocking more of the game the harder you put it. But obviously, the detriment to that is the AI is a bit more advanced, the enemies are a bit harder to kill, and you go down a lot easier as well. Um, one thing that was a huge deal I thought back in the day for this game was the um, when you shot enemies, they sort of reacted to where they shot them. So if you shot the guy in the leg, you know, you could hold his leg. If you shot him in the head, he'd go down instantly. Or, and of course, if you shot him in the groin, he would hold his groin, which is pretty cool. <laughs> now, something you, you always like to show that off to your uh -huh. friends as well. Yep. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if it was in Goldeneye. You might be doing Goldeneye's eye, but definitely in Perfect Dark, you could like shoot the gun out of their hands as well, which is pretty cool. You know, and they, they would actually have to go and wander over to it. Um, again, I think Goldeneye 
perfect dark kind of dare i say they use the term they perfected it where you'd even have things like the the guards would like they would they'd run with a sort of a they'd, they'd hold their shoulder with a swagger while they're running if you'd injured them and that was pretty cool to see in a game you know you didn't see stuff like this in doom or anything like that so it was good to see this sort of advanced ai of um, characters reacting to your gunshots and even some modern shooters don't do body awareness that good in my opinion as good as goldeneye and perfect dark did back in the day I have um, shot many so, guys in the crotch in Call of Duty. Never seen them grab their balls. <laughs> Missed opportunity, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and of course, one of my favorite little gimmicks of that, um, I, I believe this is Perfect Dog as well, is the the faces of the enemies in the game were actually the developers of the game as well. So <laughs> yes, yes, I do remember that. Very, very, very fun. But I always thought that's. I remember one of them saying in an interview in a magazine saying he said he wasn't sure if that was a good idea because he said there's nothing more glaring than shooting yourself in the face or something. He said in an interview. <laughs> yes, yes, I've heard Dan Riker talk about the weirdness of uh, he was like a bad guy in L.A. Noir, so shooting himself in the face in that or something. But. Uh, um, <clears throat> But yeah, so, um, yeah, but I remember GoldenEye was significant, and of course, its significance yeah. lives on even today. Um, but this gave way to a flood of first-person shooters, which, to be fair, might have been planned beforehand. Like, id was already on the task. They already had released Doom 64 and Hexen. Um, but after GoldenEye, we start to see more and more Duke Nukem 64 hits, uh, which yep. is a weird dulled down version weird. of it um <laughs> you know you get daikatana you get uh there's a lot of them. quake quake <laughs> two just it just becomes the you get all three of the uh the yeah. the, the um uh, turok series there just becomes a lot of uh, first person shooters oh, that's four. um there's four there's four turok there's four there's a uh, turok one fuck. two three and rage wars <laughs> rage wars okay um, <laughs> but uh but yeah and then the holiday season comes around and zelda didn't make it have you ever heard of this I before know. zelda doesn't make the holiday season um, yeah no, it's a, it's a, it feels so familiar at the moment <laughs> well and i i hate to uh i hate to kind of cut to the chase but we only have five minutes left I know, but it, um but the reason i bring this up is because uh the Nintendo 64, what it didn't have were RPGs. RPGs are killing it over on the PlayStation. Um, oh, and yeah. by this time, uh, you've already got Dragon Quest 5 and 6. I think it was 6 that was out. 6, yes. Was out on the PlayStation mm-hmm. 1. And so was uh, Final Fantasy 7. Um, and Zelda could have been a competitor, even though it's nothing like those games. But it's nowhere to be seen. And, and Sony's having a fucking renaissance of... Um, RPGs over over on its end, you know. You got Suikoden, Wild Arms, Zeno Saga, or sorry, Zeno Gears. Just tons of games, just crapping yeah. them out. Um, and uh, and 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 there isn't much on our end, so uh, or on the N sixty four end, not our end. But um, but eventually, in nineteen ninety eight, um, we do see the release of Ocarina of Time. Um, Finally. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's kind of how it always feels, right? Uh, but um, Ocarina of Time comes out in the holiday of 1998, and it's huge. I mean, it's yeah. absolutely huge. Um, it blows people away. A lot of people think Ocarina of Time is their favorite one. It definitely establishes, I would say, the blueprints for what Zelda kind of evolves into and kind of the blueprints for what every Zelda afterwards 
will kind of be made up with. Now, I say that admitting that I've never played Wind Waker. So that's the exception. Um, <clears throat> but I really like Ocarina. Uh, I don't think mm -hmm. it's amazing, but I really like Ocarina. What do you think of Ocarina of Time? I mean, I, yeah, I, I do really like Ocarina a lot. Um, I remember it taking me kind of on and off over a year to finish the game just because it, it was one of those Zelda games that really kind of challenged. To be honest, I'll, full disclosure, I didn't play a lot of Zelda games. This might have been the first Zelda game I actually played, possibly. Mm -hmm. I think I dabbled in the original briefly on my friend's NES, but I hadn't played, um, I definitely hadn't played um, Link to the Past or Zelda 2 by this point. Um, so it, I thought the game was very intriguing and um, as we've already mentioned, it was very important to kind of, not just for Zelda games, but almost games in general, what's come later. I mean, lots of games take inspiration from this general design where you have all these massive open worlds to explore. You know, you can ride the, ride that horse where you want to. I, know, I mean, it doesn't seem as big as games do nowadays, but back then it was quite a big world that you could explore like that when you first time you go up to like is it hyrule field is it called where that's like the big open map area yeah yep. that's pretty incredible actually yeah it's pretty <laughs> actually, small in the grand scheme but boy it doesn't yeah. seem that way when you first see it you had day and night cycles as well that was a pretty big deal you know if you walk across and it goes dark and then the damn zombies come up <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> that takes us by surprise there's a lot there's a lot of there's i think that's the thing that's quite well known for the zelda series is it's and this is where how you, when you compare it to things like, say, Oblivion or Skyrim, is that Zelda has very memorable moments in it. And Ocarina of Time is, whether you like it or not, there you will remember certain pinnacle points in that game. Like, you'll remember the fight with Ganon if you get all the way up to the end of it. Um, you'll remember the bit in the Deku. You'll remember that first boss in the Deku tree with that massive spider. Ah, just, yes. I remember that, getting to that spider, and you're thinking... I'm going to fight this thing. It's huge. <laughs> oh, and I remember thinking, wow, this, this whole sequence was really long and rough. And, uh, mm. boy, this, this is, uh, you know, I've come a long way and you're not even fucking close. You're not, yeah. you haven't even, you're, you're playing just the tip. Like, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, Zelda was, was an, an, a, a great adventure. Um, you know, there's different opinions of Majora's Mask, and I think we'll just leave that one there and say there's a game club on it. If you want to hear us talk for five hours about it, yeah, we yeah. definitely can. Um, two podcasts on it. <laughs> and unfortunately, we have to come to a close. But before we do, I want to talk about one other game series that kind of stands out to what Nintendo was good at. Of course, it started with Mario 64, but many people have to remember that Rare, great second-party developer, known for tons of great 3D platformers and lots of decent 3D platformers come out on the N64, most notably for me being Banjo-Kazooie. And uh, Andrew mm -hmm. was talking about this in the chat. Banjo-Kazooie says, didn't it start off as a, a RPG? Actually, it did. Project Dream was an action-adventure RPG for SNES that got canceled by Rare uh, between Donkey Kong Country 1 and 2. Um, they wow. took elements of that and evolved it. I think Project Dream had a little boy and his bird sidekick and turned it into Banjo Kazooie. Banjo became the bear, obviously, in Kazooie. Um, but I remember it was just a it was a it was an RPG with a with a young boy. And there's a lot you can read about it. Surprisingly, Unseen sixty four and Wikipedia probably the best source for that stuff. Um, mm. But great platformers there. We'll be talking about Donkey Kong 64 and some of its controversies when we talk about it next week for the Game Club. So if you're wrapping that up, you should probably get to it. Uh, you probably memorized those seven levels top to bottom at this point. Um, 
<laughs> and last but not least, I do want to close with, we've already kind of talked about them, but the amazing Factor 5 flight sims uh, to the tune oh, of the yeah. Rogue Squadron game. Rogue Squadron. Um, yeah. As well as, uh, there was the other one they did too. I forgot the other one they did. Um, but those are the ones that streamed uh, actual music. Um, I do mm. believe Shadows of the Empire did this as well, which was they 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 actually streamed the actual game soundtrack, so they put time into the soundtrack. Um, and the big deal with that, oh yeah, uh, it was Jedi Starfighter or whatever was the other Factor Five really impressive game, which has been ported over to a bunch of places, um, GOG as well. Uh, but those games are so precise with their streaming, even though it's a low quality stream, that. Uh, you, if you do capture footage of that on YouTube, you will get a content thing and it will uh, blank it out. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking crazy, right? <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, we do have to close with that. I know we haven't given as much appreciation to the N64's library as we probably should, but we have done a couple of episodes for it. So again, if you go back, we've done Majora's Mask. Uh, we talked about a lot of rare games on our Ultimate Play the Game episode. Um, we have talked about uh, the Jedi stuff uh, and the Star Wars games on our Star Wars episode. And we have done Game Clubs for Majora's Mask and the upcoming... Um, next week donkey kong 64 so and we even talked about sin and punishment on the treasure box but that didn't even come out in america so i don't know if we should really talk about it too much um but there's plenty of places we've talked about n64 and then definitely listen to our top 10 both our community and our non-community top 10 so mm -hmm. uh, plenty of n64 to go around uh jam anything you want to say in closing because i know somewhere out there somebody's pissed off that we didn't talk about Mega Man 64 or conquer's bad fur day but don't worry we we have in oh, previous there's, episodes there's a, there's a lot of games that we'll get in trouble for not mentioning <laughs> yeah so um, um no i i i like the n64 despite sort of what some opinions might say these days some people say that oh the console is old fashioned or it was overrated or something like that no i still i still think the console is very important and it's still quite a lot of fun to go back to i mean yeah, a lot of various games like Perfect Dark have been ported to the Xbox 360 and Xbox One for that matter now. Um, but it's you know if you've if you still got your N64 or if you're new to N64, why not get back into it? It's it's fairly cheap to collect for actually. It's, it's a cheap console, hard. and yeah, yeah, save for like Snowboard Kids 2, which you probably don't want, and Conquers, well, which is on the replay, rare yeah. replay. Um, and and frankly, I'm starting to decide that I like Conquers more on the live and reloaded version on the Xbox. I've gone back really? and played that a little bit. Oh, I actually kind of like that version, but yeah. anyway. I quite like that one too. And, and the only other one that kind of fetches a pretty heavy price tag that may not be worth it, uh, that's definitely not worth it actually, is um, the Castlevania games. We'll just pretend those don't exist. First of all, both games are kind of the same game and they both yeah. kind of suck. And the, the second one is kind <laughs> of expensive. So just don't, just don't. Don't well, even worry about it. Th yeah, there are there are various <laughs> games that fetch pri prices, but like again, like Majora's Mask fetches a pretty penny. But again, if you just if you have a 3DS, just buy the <clears throat> new version of it; it's cheaper. Yeah, lots <laughs> of people don't like it. Get Jeremy Parrish talked about how he couldn't play either of those games. I like them really? on the N64. I think they're just yeah, fine. The Water fine. Temple doesn't even bother me. But hey, anyway, we could go on forever about these things. Yeah, we could do. Yeah, yeah. let's do a little bookkeeping, and then we got to close up quick. So first and mm -hmm. foremost, uh, game clubs. Here's how they're going to work from now on there will be times where jam and I take the reins like October. 
and we tell you what we're going to play. <laughs> <laughs> so um, let's start that off. I'll just let the cat out of the bag. October's, we're going to have two game clubs in October. Like we kind of plan, but people keep electing longer games. So in October, uh, the two games, should I give both games or should we just do the first one? Yeah, I'd do both. Yeah, okay. Do both. Yeah. So the first half of October is going to be Call of Cthulhu. So uh, Call of Cthulhu, what's the sub... I forget it, but it's the one on Dark Corners of the Earth, Dark Corners of the Earth on Xbox and uh, and PC, which PC needs a little bit of modding, so look that up. But it's playable. Um, Dark Corners of the Earth on Xbox is going to be a little expensive, a little hard to find. I think it's backwards compatible, but I can't remember. Um, that's the version it's, I'm going to be playing. So it's not backwards. It sure, probably point out it's not backwards compatible on Xbox One. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't know if it's even on 360, but I think it is. So I'm going to be playing it on original Xbox. If you want to see what that game's all about on the YouTube video, I've played a couple of uh, uh, of levels on it, a couple hours, so you can check it out. Um, but I'll be starting from scratch. So get going on that. That game's not too, too long, but it's probably about 15 hours, and you got two weeks to beat it. So, well, assuming you don't start it till next week. So you'll probably want to hunt that down and start playing it now. Um, for the second half, though, we are going to be doing a very comprehensive look at Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse, mm -hmm. also known as Akumajo Densetsu in Japan. And we'll even be talking about those differences. That was actually Jam's pitch, not mine. So much to people's surprise, probably. So go set out looking those up. But once we start in November, that one's going to be the first one where it's y'all's picks. So you can elect games when we do the uh, third game, uh, the third week in October, uh, like this will be, like this is the third week in September. I think we're in the third week, yes. Um, we will announce the nominated games. We will let you guys all vote. I'll put a vote up on Twitter and we'll add in last minute votes in the live show on the fourth day, on the fourth week. Uh, no, actually, nominations were gonna be after the game club, so I apologize. What we're going to do is we are going to nominate them on the dark corners of the earth game club so you'll know which ones those are then we'll give you all week to vote on them through twitter and in the email and then last minute live and then on the third week in october we'll announce what the next one's going to be for the first two weeks of november so that's what it's going to be so get your nominations in now um but jam i think i think i want to do a quirky like guilty pleasures um yeah episode Good. No, actually, never mind. I've got different plans for okay. November, uh, October, which I'll talk to you about. We're going to st stick to scary games most of October, so just keep that in mind. Okay. Yeah, um, but yeah, so so get your game club and on. That's what we're going to be uh, working with and, and get your nominations in so we can work on those as well. Um, and uh, Jam and I will not be nominating games for that November game club. There will be two uh, votes, but we'll deal with those each at their respective times. So right now get your nominations in and we'll let people start to vote for those. So I think that's it. I think that's it, yeah. Yep, so with that in mind, wrap up Donkey Kong 64 and we will be back next week to talk about Donkey Kong 64. Yeah, get collecting. Yes. <laughs> Cheers guys and peace out.